Down through time, those who claim to have the answers about the future, about destiny, about eternity, have exercised great power over others. How do you discern the spiritual charlatan from the true prophet? It is fascinating that Moses introduced his discussion of the prophet with some warnings about the false prophets of the occult. Some of you might think these warnings against spiritism and astrology are no longer needed, but as Dave reminisces about the earthquake in Los Angeles and the reports about how people reacted to this devastation, it becomes clear that the ancient mystery religions are still alive and deceiving in the modern world. As they were sleeping in their multi-million dollar home that was the pride of their life, the earth started shaking and it slid down this gigantic embankment and buried the two of them in the very dream that they thought would be the essence of life. And it just reminds us, just like that, life can be snuffed out. You know, as we're faced with a terror of nature, we're faced with the fact that at any moment, any second, the, the tremendous power that we see in the universe could just come down upon our heads and we're gone. And one of the interviews I remember quite succinctly was they interviewed this older lady that was at one of these homeless shelters and they focused on the personal side of it. And this older lady was there and they shared about the devastation of her whole apartment building caving in. And then they took her to a very moving scene. She was able to leave the shelter and go to her former residence. And your heart just broke as you saw her, you know, looking at just a collapsed building. And she talked about her furniture, she talked about her clothes, she talked about everything that had been gone away. My heart just wretched as she called for her kitty cats and this older lady going through trying to call the names of her kitties. And then CBS asked her, what is the thing that, you know, what is it that, that you would want the most? What do you wish for in the midst of this crisis? Obviously, you'd like to have your kitties back and you'd like to have your, your home back. And she just sighed and she said, I just wish I could go back to normalcy. I wish I could go back and, and I could go out to the mailbox and I could pick up my morning paper. And I could walk into the house and I could get a cup of coffee and I could flip to the back and I could look at my astrological chart for the day. And I could find out what was going to happen for the day. You know what struck me about that is that times of catastrophe can be times of great calling out to the Savior, Jesus Christ. When the world seems like it's turning upside down, we tend to get focused on what can be eternal reality. But it struck me that here was one older lady that reminds us that the warning of Deuteronomy chapter 18 that we want to look at is not just something that the ancient Israelites that were listening to Moses on the plains of Moab as he lectured them before they entered the promised land. It wasn't just a warning that those people needed to be warned about, but it's a warning that you need to be warned about. As you live through this life, and as you have to come to grips with the reality that it might be an earthquake, it might be a hurricane, down here in Texas it might be a tornado, as you live in this fragileness of human existence, deep in your soul is a tremendous hunger to find out what's going to happen. To be able to have someone tell what your fortunes might be. To be able to, to get some control over this uncertainty. And in the hunger for doing that, one group of people chooses to find out from the Savior. They choose to find out from the true prophet, from the revelation of the Word of God. But there's another group, and some of you are right here. And as you go through life, you're going to be looking into another area. 
You're going to be looking into the world of the beyond, the world of transcendentalism. The, the idea of transcendence means that there, there's another world that's beyond our own or, or there's forces that are invisible to us that permeate our world and that you can get in touch with them. I want to talk to you about the two ways that you enter into that world. Turn your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 18 because Moses, again, as he has periodically through the book of Deuteronomy, he talks to us about the danger of alternative religions. We touched on this a few chapters back and I explained to you the syncretism or the union of Yahweh worship with the worship of Baal and Ashtar. I talked to you a few weeks ago about goddess worship and I talked to you about the Canaanite religion. Moses goes a little bit deeper into the essence of this alternative faith, this alternative idea of how to get control over your destiny. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, Moses says this. See it? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. When you enter the land, when you enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, who's in control of Israel's destiny? According to what I just read. Yahweh is, the Lord God. Who is this Lord God? It's the Lord God that appeared at Mount Sinai. It's the Lord God that gave the Ten Commandments. It's a Lord God that lives and is alive. Israeli pilots fly over Mount Sinai there in the Sinai Peninsula almost every day. And they speak in the Hebrew language. You could read Deuteronomy today in the Hebrew language. It's the same basic language that Moses spoke these words in. And the book that you have in your hands is telling you that there was a moment in history where on a real mountain, at a real place, the ultimate creator being the ultimate father in the universe appeared on that mountain and he gave us morality he told us how to live he said you shall love me with all your heart you shall have no other gods before me you shall not worship things you will not worship the creator you will worship me and I'm a God that loves you and cares for you. I'm a personal being and I care for your life. I care for your families. And I want you children to honor your fathers and mothers because that's the beginning of learning about your relationship with me. I don't want you to steal one another's things because I've given you the right of private property. I don't want you to steal one another's life partners. I don't want you to commit adultery. I want you to be sexually pure because it will produce happy homes and homes that are secure and where kids can be safe and where there will be a mom and dad that will be with them for a lifetime. I don't want you to covet what I don't desire for you. And on Mount Sinai, God thundered forth the Ten Commandments. But there was an alternative religion. There was an alternative way to believe that you could enter into whatever's out there, to whatever's beyond. And this was permeating the ancient Near East. It had permeated ancient Babylon and ancient wisdom and ancient insight, very deep secrets of, of how you could enter the spiritual world and how you could manipulate the forces that were there had permeated the kingdom of Babylon. In Egypt, the same kind of secret mysteries, secret insight permeated the kingdom of Egypt. Down through the centuries, that secret knowledge, that secret insight, those little techniques that are used to try to get into beyond, to be able to get in touch with forces that are somewhat divine, that are beyond just everyday normal experience, have been passed on through the centuries. And right here in our own culture, 
There are those that play and fool around with those kinds of influences. As a result of being together today, I want to try to show you the incredible atmosphere of this alternative religion, how incredibly powerful it is throughout our society. And I want you to see the contrast, because you've got to make a choice. It's either the God of Mount Sinai, who's a personal being, who's a moral being, who loves you and who's really there. And he gave you the gift of your personality. And every single one of you, I'm talking to you individually. You are a person. You can think, you can feel and decide. You are going to be a person forever. And the ultimate person in the universe is three persons that united forever in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he cares about you. And he wants to talk to you, and he's talked to you in the pages of this book, and he's told you exactly what you need to know about salvation. He's told you about his son, who's the only mediator between you and God. But there's alternative ways. There's alternative journeys that you can take. And some of you are going to take that journey. Some of you are already started on that pathway right now. And some of you think you're very sophisticated. You think you're very scientific. But you're denying the power of the spiritual inside of you. And some of you, instead of seeing the king is coming and putting all of your allegiance in him, are, are toying and monkeying around with other devotions, with other beliefs. And our culture is filled with that. And Moses knew that his ancient people in Israel were going to face these same kinds of alternative ways to try to get a hold of your destiny. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 18, he warns them when they enter the land... It's going to be very easy for them to forget that God gives them the land. God gives them the, their life. God is the whole sustenance of their being. They're going to forget that. And instead, they're going to turn to some other forces. And look what it says. Do not learn. Do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. God doesn't mix any punches. This is so different from our culture today where all religions are good and there's many different ways to reach God. And isn't it great that you're born-again believers? And isn't it great that your friends are Hare Krishna? Isn't it great that your other friends are Hindu? And isn't it great to have some Islamic people? And, and isn't it great to have some people that went to some EST seminars? And isn't it great that we can have all this religious, just big hash that's mixed together? Oh, I want you to feel that the clarity and the thrust of Scripture. Because the Lord God of Mount Sinai speaks to every one of you and says, it's abominable what happens in alternative religions. It's abominable. It means The word abominable means that it makes God sick to his stomach. You know why? Because it makes God sick to his stomach. We're going to find out for babies and children to die. God hates that. It made God sick to his stomach for, for husbands and wives to leave the commitment of faithfulness in their marriage and to have group sex among communal living. It makes God angry. It makes him vomit. It makes him sick. It calls down his judgment. Why? Because it doesn't generate homes, little individual homes, where children can know who mommy and daddy is and can know that all their life and have that security. And God wants them to have that gift of faithfulness within their, their mom and dad's relationship. And God hates it because these alternative ways start to tear down all of that. And so Lord God thunders forth through his prophet Moses and says, what these other nations are doing, is abominable. And all things are not relative. Not every journey goes to the same direction. There is something that's right. There is a way that is right and there's a way that's wrong. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it's the ways of death. 
And only the way of Yahweh, only the way of his son, only the way of the revealed word of God in scripture is the way to eternal life. It's very important in this midst of all this atmosphere of anything goes to realize there are an abominable things. There are things that are putrid, that are evil, that are destructive, that should make us sick to our stomach, and rapidly we're moving towards a culture where nothing makes us sick anymore. Nothing causes us to feel that it's so bad, it's so putrid, it's so stinky that we cry out for God to bring redemption. But Moses was still in a world of clarity. He was still a true prophet of God that could say, don't learn what the nations are doing. Don't follow their practices because it's an abomination to the Lord God because he loves you and he wants you to be repulsed by the things that will destroy you. He wants you as you stand on the edge of a spiritual cliff, you might say. As you look down to the abyss, he wants your stomach to churn and say, I will not jump. I will run to my Father in heaven and I will believe in him and I will not jump into the world of destruction. And you live in a society that's saying, jump, it'll be a great thrill. You'll never experience such excitement. Jump into the world of the unknown. And Moses comes to you this morning and says, please don't jump. It will destroy you. Run into the arms of a rational, kind, feeling, morally right, eternally preserving Father in heaven. And don't listen to the deceitful lies of an enemy that wants to murder you and destroy you. Now he begins to get very specific. He says in verse 10, let no one be found among you. And now he talks about these occultic influences, the mediums, ghosts, and sorcerers. And what I want to do is I want to go through these words and I want to show you from the Old Testament what these words mean. And I'm going to do this because I want every one of our kids and I want every one of our young adults and I want every one of our older adults to be very clear about the things that you're not to learn about, that you're not to be involved in, that you might go away to college and you might have some kids that you're not in a room and say, man, you won't believe the secret mystery that we've discovered. Man, we were reading some ancient Greek sources and man, we've learned about how to have a real Bacchaevelian feast and we've learned how to have a Dionysian revelry. Man, you've never gotten so turned on your life. If you think LSD turned you on, man, this little Dionysian celebration that we're going to have is going to turn you on like you wouldn't believe. And I want the red lights to come on. And I want you to feel like, man, there's no mystery in that. There's death in that. I've already heard from the right side about that. And I know what you're dabbling with. And Moses begins to spell out. He says, number one, in this world of the occult, let no one be found among you who sacrifices his, his son or his daughter in the fire. We've already explained that to you. Remember in the worship of Moloch, this, this idol that was like, a, like a, a metal idol that was like a furnace that they would heat and they would take their babies and put their baby, their, especially their firstborns, in the arms of this god Moloch and they would destroy them. And the Lord has sent that there should be no one among all of Israel that does it. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 3, we find out that the children of Israel didn't obey Moses' words. In fact, Ahaz, one of the kings of Israel sacrificed his son in the fire. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 3. The incredible thing about Ahaz is Isaiah the prophet, who is one of the, the supreme classic prophets of the Old Testament, the man who gave us the passages that unto you will be born in the city of David, the, the, the king, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. Isaiah that gave us Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. 
and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all, Ahaz had direct personal access to Isaiah the prophet. But look what he did. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 3. It says, He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Even, he even sacrificed his son in the fire. Following the detestable ways of the nations, the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. You say, why did Ahaz do that? Because this chapter was going to develop that Ahaz was in a very dangerous situation. The king of Syria, who was very powerful, and the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, that was capital in Samaria, just a few miles north of Jerusalem, had conspired together against Ahaz. And Ahaz, as a king in the ancient world, his life, his being, was being threatened. And when you're being threatened, there's a tremendous pull to want to find out what's going to happen. And one of the beliefs of this Canaanite world system was that if you would make a supreme sacrifice, if you would destroy one of your children, you could get a special handle on the divine. And so Ahaz sacrificed his son. And he would believe that, that that will give me victory from the gods. Ahaz also appealed to Tiglath-Pileser of the Assyrians. And Tiglath-Pileser came and helped him and defeated his enemies. And then Ahaz, after Tiglath won the victory, went up to Damascus. And there in Damascus, he saw Tiglath's god. He saw the altars of Assyria. He saw the worship of Assyria. He fashioned an altar just like the Assyrian king had. He brought it down to Jerusalem and he set up in the Holy of Holies the altar of Assyria. So did Israel listen to what Moses said many generations before? No. Will some of you listen to what I'm saying today? No. One of the things I want you to realize about the alternative religion, what you need to watch for, it will always start to devalue kids. It will always start to move away from children. It will always start to tell you that, that your children are keeping you away from happiness and you should just destroy them. There's many ways that you can do that. Abortion is just one of them. We're all upset and we should be. When we remember the Holocaust, and I believe it's more important these days than any other day for us to remember how virulent evil can become. And the senselessness of it, and the brutality of it, and the immorality of it. And it yields ovens that destroy little children and young adults and older adults and just incinerates people. But we live in a culture right now that is doing that with the disappearing people. The people that never quite show themselves. You say, what's one of the things we can do? Well, obviously we can get involved. But you know one of the most powerful things you can do is your tremendous rejoicing at nurseries and, and cribs and diapers and little babies. Because you are still a group that is absolutely thrilled with generating children. And I want you just to keep generating them. Fill the world with your kids, with your godly kids. And everyone, the Lord knows how, how big each one of our quivers should be, whether it's one or two or three or four. But I want to underscore that God's children that are in touch with him will always thrill at the joy of holding little babies. And it will make them sick to their stomach to think about destroying them. And I want you to think about all the reasons that are used for the destruction of babies in the womb. Every one of those reasons can be, can be used for the destruction of babies out of the womb. We just haven't gotten that far yet, but we're on the way. 
So one of the most powerful things we can do is to live counteracting the world and be a body of believers that cherish our kids. Steve Fletcher said something that moved me deeply. You know, we've talked about our natural kids. And then Steve was deeply moved. He said, you know, as I look around, there's a whole lot of little arrows out there. And they don't even have a quiver. They have a mom and dad that just bring them by the church. You know, they bring them by the daycare center. They bring them by the church. They bring them by this. They bring them by that. They're always going to work. They're always gone. And I see these little boys and little girls who don't have a quiver. They don't have a mom and dad that provides shelter around them. You know, these days, we need to open our quiver wide. And it needs to be bigger than just our blood kids. In fact, in the body of Christ, it's biblically true that none of our kids exclusively just belong to us. When Jonathan was facing the assault of humanism and, and very strong anti-biblical viewpoints, the thing that held him in was the testimony of some of you older men that have known him from the time he was a little boy. He said, Dad, as I walked out in the quad of the University of Texas, and I didn't have all the intellectual answers, and I didn't have all the philosophy that I needed. I knew there were probably answers out there, and I knew that maybe even when I talked to Dad, that maybe he could find an answer. But at that particular moment, I didn't have all the answers. And which way should I turn? Will I build my life on the revelation of the Word of God? Will I build my life on the old rugged cross? Will I build my life on what Jesus did for me? And Jonathan said this. I remembered some old guys that I'd known from the time I was a little boy. Guys that I knew when I first knew them that were rough and calloused and some of them would cuss and, and some of them would be drunk and everything else. And I saw those men receive Christ into their life and they became men that loved me from the time I was a little boy. And men that in the marketplace of life, not because they were professional preachers, but men in the marketplace of life that had found the Savior. And Jonathan said to me, he says, Dad, I could never get away from that. The reality of Jesus in the body of Christ I was raised in. That's a church family that loves its kids. And that's how we counteract this world of the occult that wants to murder kids and destroy their life. And may that tribe increase and let's just pray that we'll love kids more and more and more. Because one of the first steps that you can tell in any movement as it starts to move away from its love of children, it starts to move away from the Savior. Because we are following a Savior that says, suffer the little children and come unto me and don't ever forbid them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And we live in, the, in, the, in worshiping and adoring a king who brings the children by the millions into his lap and takes them to his side for all of eternity. And if we're going to follow him, we will counteract the world of the occult by the cherishing and the loving of our children. There's another thing that starts to happen in the occult. Moses talks about some other words. He says this in the next phrase. Who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft. And let me try to bring some of these things together. The first word that he uses is a word that we would use for a soothsayer or a fortune teller. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 6, you have Isaiah the prophet describing the Babylonian king. And the Babylonian king is coming down to destroy Israel and Judah, really specifically the southern kingdom. And Isaiah describes this Babylonian king coming to a union in the road, a fork in the road, you might say. 
And he had to decide, will he take the journey to Jerusalem or will he take the journey to Damascus? And what he does is he gets a quiver. I guess we're on quivers of arrows this day. In the ancient world, one of the ways that they would, that they would seek to get divination to the future is they would put a bunch of arrows in a quiver and they would label the arrows different things. Like one of the arrows would be labeled Jerusalem. Another arrow would be labeled Damascus. Another arrow might be labeled Gaza or Ascalon. And the sorcerer would twirl the quiver. And the arrow that flew out first was the decision that would be made. It was a way to get in touch with the forces that are beyond nature. It was to get in touch with that, with that blind fate or that, that impersonal energy that permeates supposedly in the world of the occult all of reality. And instead of bowing before the Lord God of heaven and saying, God, give me wisdom. Let me build my life on your revelation. You begin to build your life on the fates. And that's what the sorcerer does. They twirl the arrows. And so the Babylonian king did that. And what Isaiah the prophet says is that it wasn't the arrows flying. It was the will of heaven. God had already decided for moral reasons because his people had turned away from him because they'd become just like the Canaanites that he was going to have to bring his judgment upon them. And it had nothing to do with arrows flying out. It had nothing to do with chance or probabilities or just blind fate. It had everything to do with the fact that there's a king in heaven who decides the destinies and, and personalities and lives of men and women. But the sorceress says, no. You can get insight into the future through all these different means. And one of the ways in the ancient world was to twirl the arrows. The quiver of arrows and drawing lots. In the modern world, you've got all different kinds of techniques. Throwing dice, tarot cards, Ouija boards. It's all this idea that somehow you use a technique that will deal with probabilities that will be able to show you the future. And the Bible says that any time you start to think that you can have insight into the decision-making process, that you can find out what you're going to do by casting these lots or doing these things, you are entering the world of the occult. And some of you as believers, that's how you find the will of God. You let just blind circumstance determine the will of God for you. You don't read your Bible every day to get to know God personally. You don't find out what his will is. You come to a decision in life and you kind of go like this. You know, it's kind of like casting lots, whatever it might be. Or you say, well, if it's sunshiny today, then I'm going to do it. If it's not, then I'm not. The Bible says don't live like that. You have a personal father in heaven. He speaks to you in his word. He's given you wise principles to follow. I want you to use your head today, not just be emotional. I want to teach you about what is right with your head. I want you to become wise, intelligent, rational people. That's the world of God. There's another world that says forget about thinking. Forget about your mind. Forget about reading. Forget about hearing God's voice clearly. Because you can just find it by tossing arrows out of a cup. And God says, no, you can't. God isn't that frivolous. In the Old Testament, there were some means that God gave, like the casting of stones, that he would give yes and no's answer before the completion of the word of God. But today, when you have Genesis through Revelation, God says, I'll talk to you anytime you want to, and I'll give you direction and insight every time you listen to my voice in my holy word. Don't rely upon dice or cards or throwing arrows out of anything. Trust the Lord. Make wise decisions. Don't believe in the world of the occult. So you have the quiver of arrows, you've got fortune teller, you've got casting of spells. Hydromancy, that was the idea of having a cup and you'd look at the surface of the water. 
and the supposed soothsayer be able to tell by some of the reflection in this water glass what your destiny would be. The Hebrew word that's used for this particular individual is the whisperer. And one of the things I want you to be really careful of, be careful about anybody that's kind of chanting and kind of using their mouth in totally irrational ways. In the world of the occult, the whisperer, the sorcerer, is always speaking like in murmurings and, and all these different kinds of groanings, things that are unintelligible to your reason. And they supposedly, because they can do that, have a special insight into what is beyond and what is transcendent. And Moses says among the people of God, the person that is the whisperer, that is supposedly doing all these secret things, it says watch out. It can be an illegitimate way of entering into the world of the spiritual. And we must be careful that this world of the occult never permeates our lives. Who would ever have dreamed that Deuteronomy would have so much to say about our modern problems of drug abuse, sex abuse, and the harm they bring to children? You have been listening to Dave Wurtzen, our Bible study teacher on Truth Encounter. We still have one more lesson dealing with this strategic passage in Deuteronomy, and you don't want to miss the conclusion.